I know self-publishing is not for everyone. Nothing is. But if you've considered self-publishing for even a minute, listen up, because I'm betting I know what's holding you back from exploring it further or getting started. Number one, you think the self-publishing process is a lot harder than it actually is. And number two, you're understandably afraid of doing it, air quote, wrong. So I've created a new free resource for you. It's called the Self-Publishing Starter Kit, and you can get instant access to it by clicking the link in the show notes or visiting publishaprofitablebook.com forward slash self-publishing 101. In this free training, you'll discover the exact four steps to focus on and mistakes to avoid so you can publish an incredible book that's indistinguishable in quality from a New York Times bestseller without overthinking, overguessing, or overspending in areas that won't make a difference. Again, visit publishaprofitablebook.com forward slash self-publishing 101 to get instant access. Welcome to the Write the Damn Book Already podcast. My name is Elizabeth Lyons. I'm a six-time author and book editor, and I help people write and publish powerful, thought-provoking, wildly entertaining books without any more overthinking, second-guessing, or overwhelm than absolutely necessary. Because let's face it, some overthinking, second-guessing, and overwhelm is going to come with the territory if you're anything like me. I believe that story and shared perspective are two of the most potent ways we connect with one another, and that your story, perspective, and insights are destined to become someone else's favorite resource or pastime. For more book writing and publishing tips and solutions, oh, and plenty of free and low-cost resources, visit publishaprofitablebook.com. And for recommendations of fabulous books you've possibly never heard of, book writing inspiration, and the occasional meme so relatable you'll wonder if it was created with you in mind, follow me on Instagram at Elizabeth Lyons Author. Hi, everybody, and welcome to this next episode of Write the Damn Book Already. I decided that for this week, which is another solo short, I think I just made that up. Like I've said I'm doing a solo episode. I think I've said I'm doing a short episode. I try to keep them short. Sometimes they go a little longer than I hope, but I'm going to try to keep this one short. I thought it would be fun to start doing some author reminders. So we've done self-publishing predictions. We've done publishing predictions. We've done all kinds of tips and things in the solo episodes. And especially given some of the things that I experienced last week as both an author and an editor, I thought it might be helpful to, not not just for you, honestly, for me too, because I, I'm working on a book myself, to put some reminders out there. Because when you are knee deep or eyeball deep or whatever in the thick of writing or editing or publishing or marketing, it can be, um, well, A, it can feel isolating. And B, it's not hard to get into a cycle of compare and despair. And it's not hard to get into that cycle quickly and then spiral down into it and not be sure how to get out of it. So there are three things that I want to remind both you and myself of today. The first one is there's no rush. And here's what I mean by that, because I don't want anyone to be like, well, wait a minute. Like, does that mean that I have two decades to get my book written? And that's not what I'm saying. Quickly written books if they're just written in five minutes, which is ridiculous because anyone who's ever sat down and tried to write a book knows that they it can't be written in five minutes. I mean, it can, 
but it won't be good. If we just think about that logically, if it were easy, let's think about any of the things that we are often told on social media or elsewhere that it's easy, right? It's easy to build um, a business from the ground up. You know, it's easy to hit 100K months quickly, like in two months. It's easy to write a book in five minutes. It's easy to build an Instagram community in a week, an Instagram community of 300,000 engaged followers. We're told all of these things and it sounds awesome. I mean, I'd love to do that too. If it were that easy, we wouldn't have people teaching us how to do it like over the long term. Again, not in a weekend, not in a week, not in a month, but we wouldn't even have, we wouldn't even need people to guide us because we'd all go out and follow one person's 90 minute masterclass, do it, become millionaires or have our followers or all the things that we want to do and never need to seek more information. So we're all logical people. Everyone listening to this is a smart, logical person. So we all know that at, at the core, like we've all done hard things and we all know that challenging things don't typically get done in five minutes, unless it's just challenging in your mind, unless you are the stack of papers and books that's sitting on my steps that I keep saying, okay, every time I go upstairs, just take one stack. And then I don't like that is legitimately something that would take one minute to complete, but I just keep making it hard in my head. Like I'll get it next time. And the pile keeps growing. When it comes to writing a book, though, a a quickly written book, just it won't do well. I promise. Like those days are over, period. You know, back when Amazon first started or digital ebooks first started, you know, people could take advantage of it and whip things out quickly. It's no different from YouTube or any other platform when it first gets started. Or I can't believe I'm even going to use this as an example, but an MLM, if you happen to get in in the top level of it, like, One of the most consistent 2024 predictions in publishing, whether it's traditional self, whatever it is, whatever model you choose, is that quality is becoming more important than ever. The saturation of great books only continues, thank God. There is no room for a bad book. I mean, will there still be bad books with great publicity that do well for reasons we never understand? Of course, Will there still be incredibly beautifully written books that don't go anywhere for reasons we don't understand? Of course, although that isn't really for reasons we don't understand. That's often because the book is put out in a vacuum and the author doesn't do anything to market it, either themselves or by hiring someone else. But if you have the money to put behind a badly written book, right, I I would assume that you can get trajectory, whether it's through book talk or other advertising mediums, you can get trajectory. You may not keep it or you might, depending on the topic of your book. I mean, we only have to think as far back as Fifty Shades of Grey for that. But by and large, the quality of a book is more important than it ever has been. And for the majority of authors, it doesn't matter if you're trying to build a long-term career as an author, you want to write multiple books or you only want to write one book and your goal for that book is either to tell your story and raise awareness or 
help other people through something. So let's say it's in the personal development or growth space, and maybe you have a business that that book is meant to support. So you can't personally reach every single person or every single person that you'd love to help can't necessarily, doesn't or doesn't necessarily have the disposable income to hire you, whatever your rate is. This isn't a conversation about that. But you want to provide an accessible way to to help people and to guide people. So a book is your way. And maybe from that, you get people to opt into your free downloads. Maybe people sign up to work with you in a lower level course or high, whatever it is. Whatever your purpose for writing a book is, take the time to do it correctly. Take the time to make it a worthwhile investment for the person who's making the investment. Sometimes we hear about people who will say, I whipped out the first draft in four weeks. And most of the time, in my experience, they're honest enough to say, I whipped out a first draft in four weeks, and then I spent the next 18 months honing it, which is still writing. Like I had the most interesting conversation with Sarah Lynn Brock. If you haven't had a chance to listen to that, it's a few episodes ago, and I'll link it in the episode notes below. She's the author of Light of the Fire, which comes out soon. It's fantastic, by the way. It's her third novel. And I asked her, okay, so if you draft the first draft in three weeks, four weeks, six weeks, and then you spend two years reworking it, does that, do you consider that four weeks of writing and two years of editing? And her response was, I think it's all writing. And the more I thought about that, the more I realized I agree with her. It's writing, it's rewriting, like look at it any which way you want, but it's all still writing. It's removing, it's adding, it's substituting all the things. It's still part of the writing. I've said this before, and I'm probably, I I know I'm going to say it again. Context is super important. So when someone says, I wrote the book in three weeks, I've heard Elizabeth Gilbert, as an example, say that she will write a book in just a few months, but that's after four years of doing the research to write the book. If you're a boy mom, listen up. I'm a boy mom times three. And while not naming names, one of my boys was more into face products than I've ever been. While I constantly reminded another of them that the reason his skin was so itchy was that showers are important as is soap. Man, do I wish Gygene had been around back then. For one thing, I don't know what the newest must-have products are. And maybe if they came in a box from someone else, it would have been more compelling than, mom said I have to use this or I can't sit near her. While a few years too late for me, curated confidence for tween and teen boys has arrived. Gygene is a monthly subscription box developed just for teen and tween boys. Founded by fellow boy mom, Cara Forney, who also happens to be the author of Boy Moms, Collective Tales of Mothers and Sons, each box contains four to six personal care items from top brands. And, bonus, all products are toxin-free, cruelty-free, and backed by, you know, science. You can get 15% off your first box or entire subscription. So if you prepay for six months or a year, you can get 15% off the whole shebang. And you can combine it with the free shipping offer they have running right now. Just use code WRITETHEDAMNBOOK at checkout. I'm getting one for me just for surviving this craziness. Visit goodguygene.com. That's G-O-O-D-G-U-Y-G-I-E-N-E.com and enter code WRITETHEDAMNBOOK for 15% off and free shipping. The link is also in the show notes for easy reference later on. And now, 
back to the show. So she's been honest and transparent enough to say, I didn't, I'm not telling people I wrote the book in four months. I wrote the book in four years and four months. It's just that I spend all this time acquiring the data, doing the research, having the experiences, building the characters, building the worlds. And then I'm able to, because I've done that, I'm able to drop in and execute a first draft fairly quickly because I don't have to stop and think about things. I just heard another episode, another author last week on, I was listening as I was driving, The Shit No One Tells You About Writing. I'll link this one below too, which is an absolutely fantastic podcast. It's the December 2023 bonus episode, and Bianca Murray interviewed Lucy E.M. Black, who's the author of the historical fiction novel, The Brickworks. And it was a fascinating conversation to listen to. Again, I'll link it below because I encourage you. I mean, if you're not already subscribing to that podcast, get yourself subscribed. But the amount of research that Lucy did on this book before sitting down to write it is crazy to me. Like we're talking, it kind of was exciting. We're talking international travel and just researching on bricks, like quite literally the making of bricks, the history of bricks, all of that. So that allows, I think in some cases, the book to come out, the first draft to come out more quickly if you've spent all that time building it up in your head first. But so often we feel this rush to get it out now. And we feel like that because we a little bit have FOMO, like we see all the other authors releasing their books, number one. Number two, we think that they're releasing them quickly and that if we don't write quickly and release quickly, we're not good at what we do, like we shouldn't be doing this. Number three, we feel this urgency usually because either it's competitive urgency, we want to be included in a certain cat, like with a group of authors that have books coming out, or we want our book to be published in a specific year for a specific reason. I've talked to authors who want to have their books published on a specific date for a specific reason because it's very symbolic to them. So instead of pushing it by a year, because that feels awful, they're like, I've got to get this done right now. And many times we feel a sense of financial urgency. So we need or want the next book to come out because we are counting on that for something, whether it's side income, main income, whatever it may be. But rushing it doesn't, doesn't work. And especially for the long term, if you want the book to travel well outside just your friends and family who are going to buy it to be supportive no matter what, hopefully, you want to have written something that is of quality. And yes, we're talking about art. So of quality, see the air quotes is subjective, but something written quickly, not really edited, not really thought through, and then just thrown out into the world is rarely, if ever going to do well in the long term. That may be different when we're talking about erotic fiction or genres like that, where readers honestly don't really care and they're just kind of plowing through it. But even there, that market is so incredibly saturated that I would argue that in order to become a new voice in that space, you've got to do it well. And writing a book, it's it's interesting to me that sometimes even I read a book and think, well, how hard was this to write? And then when you sit down and try to write a book yourself, you're like, man, this is, I don't give authors enough credit or I don't give painters enough credit. Let me tell you who I don't give enough credit to, knitters. I do not give knitters, like hand knitters, enough credit. These things are so much more difficult than they look on YouTube. So just take your time. And just breathe and relax and know that every other author out there who really wants to put something good into the world is taking their time, even if it doesn't seem that way from the outside. 
Again, I kind of liken it to a pregnancy. We see someone, they announce that they're 12 weeks pregnant, we blink, and they've given birth. And we're like, oh my gosh, you did this so quickly. And that poor woman is like, you, you don't even know what I've been through. Like the last nine months, you don't even know. Every day has felt like a year. Maybe I'm just talking about myself. Um, point number two, I often hear authors, aspiring authors who haven't yet published say one of their things that they really want is a team. And a perception, a common perception is that the only way you can get a team is by going with a traditional publishing house, whether it's a big five house, whether it's a smaller boutique house, that that's the only way you can get a team. There's also often the perception that you absolutely will have a close-knit team if you go traditional or if you hire someone to publish your book, which is not always the case. There is no hard and fast rule in this industry about how everything always or never happens. Anytime anyone says always or never, someone will be able to find an exception for sure. So it's a dangerous statement to make, but it's not always the case that you get a team with a traditional approach or don't get a team with an indie approach. And indie would be either hybrid, hiring someone to publish your book professionally and potentially help you with the marketing on the side or whatever combination of people and teams you put together to bring your vision to reality. And if you're self or indie publishing, here's the beauty of it in my experience is you get to create your team. So with traditional publishing, yes, many times a pro of that is a team comes ready, right? Your editor, your cover designer, your publisher, in some cases, your your marketing help, and then you might go out and hire additional marketing help or publicity help, but they kind of come to you like it's a package deal. Your interior formatter, your copy editor, your proofreader, all those things. But remember that as an indie author, you can have a team too. It's simply a team that you create. So I have an editor, I have a cover designer, I have people who help with marketing if I so choose. Lots of times it's just my launch team. I haven't hired a PR group in years. I did many, many years ago, but I haven't in many years. Doesn't mean I wouldn't, doesn't mean that that's not a great choice for people. It's just not the approach that I've chosen for the last couple of books. I've just used a launch team that I've created. I have my own proofreaders, all of those sorts. So I, I still consider that it's just the way you look at it. I have a team. It's just a team of professionals that I've selected. And yes, I have to go out and do the due diligence to say, okay, who's the right editor for this book and et cetera. I I tend to use the same cover designer because she's amazing, but I still have a team and I love that team. That team has yet to let me down, which is why I keep working with, you know, the same people professionally. So that's point number two that I just invite you to consider when it comes to your publishing journey. And the third and final point for today is overwhelm is completely normal. That's not even a good headline because everyone's like, duh, by this point. If you've been listening to me or any other publishing person, Lauren Eckhart, Carly Waters, and the shit no one tells you, like anybody else who's out there speaking on this, they will all echo that overwhelm is normal. So because I am such a metaphor person and I'm a visual person, here's how I tend to look at this in case you have not heard me say this before. If you have, I, I don't know, like skip out and, and or listen to it again, because maybe you need to hear it again. I always have a puzzle on my kitchen table, always. And 
I use that puzzle for a couple different things. Number one, it's the way that I procrastinate lots of times. Number two, it's the way that I empty my brain a lot of times. And number three, it's the way that I remind myself of what this whole book writing and business building thing is. So if you have a thousand piece puzzle, which is typically what I have, and no, it's not an all white puzzle because I'm not insane, clinically anyway, um, you people start in different ways. So let's not think of an all white puzzle because it, that example actually won't even work for this analogy, but let's just any puzzle that you want to imagine. Many people, I'll speak for myself, I start with the outside edge. So that's the first thing I have to create. In the world of book writing, you might consider that your basic outline. Some people have to start there. Not everyone starts there. My son, one of my twins, he's now 22, Henry, when he was four or five years old, was notorious in my family for refusing to start the puzzle on the outer edge. He, I swear to God, he started in the middle. It was the craziest thing I had ever seen. I didn't understand. But he built it from the middle out. And it was almost hard for me to like do it with him because I was like, no, no, like we need to be outlining. We need to find the edges first. And he just never, now he hates puzzles, by the way. They stress him out so much. I'm like, well, maybe if you started with the straight edges, but he doesn't want to go there yet. Give it time. So everyone does it differently. Pantsers, I guess, maybe are the people who start at the inside and work their way out. Plotters are maybe the people who start from the outside and work their way in. And then there's the combination of the two, the plantsers, right, who just kind of do a little bit here and a little there. Then you've got, okay, so let's say you've got your outside edge created. Now you've got however many pieces left that you need to figure out where the hell they go. So my approach is I will group them. So all the red pieces will go over there and all the blue pieces will go in a pile over here. And I actually am insane. So I have, I said I wasn't insane, but in this way, I kind of am. And this isn't my fault because my mother sent them to me. There are these little puzzle dishes. They literally look like plates, although they're not solid on the bottom and they help you to organize your pieces. So you could put all your black pieces in this dish and all your yellow pieces in this dish and all the pieces that have words on them in this dish. And that is what I do. That is my second part of the process. But if I go out at any point in time and walk past that kitchen table and look at the puzzle in all of its disorganization, I kind of get this, oh my God, I'm I'm never going to finish that. I'm just never going to finish that. And the result of that is I don't even sit down because my brain does this weird thing where it tells me, even though I I know this isn't true, it tells me if I sit down, I have to finish it all right now. And my first thought is I don't have time or mental capacity, like that's too many pieces. And so I won't do it. But what I have to continually remind myself and what benefits me to continually remind myself is if I just sit down and find one piece that fits, one, sometimes that takes 10 seconds and sometimes it takes 15 minutes. But if I find one piece and fit it, two things happen. Number one, I often will be like, oh, I see another piece that fits. And and or number two, like I get up and walk away. And then when I go back, I have one fewer piece that is needing to be put in its proper place. When I get to the end of the puzzle, almost inevitably, I've got pieces in the wrong place. I know it sounds crazy, but it, it does happen. Or I have missing pieces. That happened last time. I almost lost my mind. I actually created my own pieces to fit in. I had two missing pieces. I think the cat took it somewhere. I drew them out and colored them in myself. <laughs> 
So I, I realize how this must sound because I needed this thing to be finished and I wasn't going to have an unfinished puzzle, but we do what we have to do. That is the process. It's, it's the best analogy I've ever come up with alongside the layers, painting in layers, right? And I'm not a painter, but I've talked to painters who will put down one layer and then they will come back and put down another layer and then they will come back and put down another layer. And I find it completely fascinating because I get overwhelmed thinking about how they must feel when they're looking at the blank canvas. But then I think about how satisfied and accomplished they must feel when they're like nine layers in and they're only building momentum. Because for me, the closer I get to finishing that puzzle, the more I want to sit down and work on it, one piece, five piece, 10 pieces at a time. The worst time for me in puzzle making is when I dump all the pieces out of the box onto the table and I have to start sorting and finding out of a thousand pieces, which I don't know, hundred of them have straight sides. And I always miss one or two. And that is so aggravating when you get the whole outside built, but you're missing one or two. And so it's like, do you go in and find the one or two that you're missing? Or do you just start building the inside and know that they'll show up at some point? There's no right answer. It's just what works for each individual person. So remember, you don't have to build the whole puzzle in a day. That's where the five minutes, 10 minutes of writing a day comes in. Just sit down and write one scene, one paragraph, one work on one chapter title if you're at that point. Come up with one other idea to put into your outline if you are outlining, if you're an outliner, if you're trying that approach. It's just one small thing. And Many times, well, every time, this is when a superlative works, every time one small thing gets you one small thing closer to the finished product, but many times accomplishing that one small thing has a ripple effect where then you'll think of another thing, you'll find another piece, you'll stuff, and then you've actually done more than you set out to do for the day, and that creates momentum. So I hope those three author reminders were helpful. As always, please feel free to send any writing or publishing questions you have to me via email, elizabeth at elizabethlyons.com, or you can DM me over on Instagram. I'm at Elizabeth Lyons author. Both are in the show notes. We're all walking this journey together. It's so much fun, isn't it? And I look forward to talking with you next time. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, this is your friendly reminder to follow or subscribe, leave a quick review, and share it with someone you know has a great story or message, but isn't sure what to do next. Also, remember to check out publishaprofitablebook.com for book writing resources and tips, and to see all the ways we can work together to get your book out into the world. Again, thanks so much for listening, and I'll talk with you again soon.